0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We sat down with Matt Williams of Myco Habitat and talked about something very interesting, and that's mushroom food plots. Matt is a mushroom farmer that lives up in the UP of Michigan. And uh, a while back ago, he started to get into the different species of mushrooms that deer tend to gravitate to and started making a food plot product for planting mushrooms or growing mushrooms uh, around your hunting area super interesting podcast you guys are going to really enjoy it before we get into it got to thank some of my partners you're tired of spending money on trail cameras you use as tools only to find out they're built like freaking toys or you've struggled with unreliable not so dependable cameras or experienced customer service that flat out disappointed you i've been there Those problems literally birthed Exodus eight years ago when they shipped their first camera. Exodus had a clear desire to not only build elite products that enabled you to set it and forget it all season long, but also to back them like no other company was willing to, with an unmatched level of customer service and support. See for yourself why... Exodus has over 15,000 satisfied customers. They've quickly become known for their five-year no BS warranty, quality cameras, and best in-class customer service. You heard that right. Exodus believes in their products so much, every single camera is backed by a five-year warranty that includes theft and accidental damage coverage. Each camera is checked for quality control standards before it leaves their warehouse. If they wouldn't use it, you don't get it. Exodus is so confident you'll love your new Exodus camera they're offering you, the listener of this show, 15% off your next order today. Just use code BTE If you don't love it get your money refunded in the first 30 days and just send her back Exodus really has two excellent cell cam options for uh, all budgets and they start at just $179 plus you're 15% off there you use the code VTE. They have competitive data plans that allows you to purchase a, a plan and use the data as you see fit. They want you to be in control. There's no annual commitment and no limit on how many cameras you can run on one plan. You can share cameras with friends, no charge, which makes the X's lineup a great option for hunting clubs and leases. There are no additional fees for HD photo requests, that's pretty nice. No additional fees for video uploads. And all cameras share data on a single data plan for easy management. See for yourself why so many have made the switch to Exodus and experienced the Exodus difference. Use code BTE to get 15% off your next order today. Now, let's talk about Osseo Gear. It's a great option for whitetail hunters. They develop a premium line of bow hunting gear that will rival any other clothing on the market in quality. Plus, you got a lifetime warranty on anything you buy from osseo which is pretty nice they have a super unique camo pattern and great technology in their garments to keep you comfortable in the stand so visit asiogear.com get you some premium hunting clothing also i'm gonna talk about hunting beast gear makers of the beast stand and beast sticks in my opinion the best option for a mobile hunter that's looking to pound the public land or just hop around on your private land. I don't hardly worry about permanent stands anymore on the uh, few pieces of private I do have. I just use that beast stand and sticks, and I got so good with putting it up, uh, taking it up and down. I really feel comfortable using it in any scenario whatsoever. If you haven't had the experience of getting your hands on a beast stand and trying it out for yourself. Go to beastgear.com, get your pre-order in for the stand, order you some sticks, and become more deadly this year season. Speaking of deadly, got to talk to you about Stealth Outdoors, makers of Stealth Strips, which is a great addition to any beast stand that you're going to buy. These sticks, it's, an addition, it's a great addition for all kinds of stuff. I just put some on my bow the other day. Stealth Strips really are a, a product that... Any hunter, whether you're a weekend warrior or a guy that hunts almost every day really needs to take advantage of. Stuff absolutely deadens your your gear uh, to make it essentially uh, noise free. If you haven't checked out Stealth Strips yet, stop buying all the other crappy alternatives like the hockey tape and any other stuff you're trying to use to silence your gear. Get the good stuff, get Stealth Strips, visit Stealthoutdoors.com. The for stealth scripts. All my partners are linked in the description below. Go check them out. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Uh, you can see we have one uh, fairly familiar face and one new face. Mushroom Matt's on with us today. And I don't know, Gary. Gary, you've been on a handful of times now. Yep. yep. So, um, we got an interesting topic today that I've been trying to research a little bit about it and it's hard to find it on Google and uh, there's not a lot of research on it, but we're going to talk about mushrooms and uh, how deer uh, use mushrooms kind of in their, their lives and, and how they eat those mushrooms and things like that. And, and Matt, you kind of, uh, the last several years here and really the last year, you've been talking a lot about how deer uh, consume mushrooms. Um, and you're always sending me stuff on Facebook information about, uh, mushrooms and deer, and it's just really interesting. And there's, I, I YouTubed it, and there's nothing on YouTube about, uh, mushroom food plots or anything like that. But, uh, Matt, how did you get started in like this mushroom thing you got going on here?
1: Uh, it is a very organic natural progression. Um, I'm a hunter. I love to hunt. always have. Um, develop more time for it lately kind of get back to you know my love for it but at the same time I'm a farmer and in particular uh five years six years eight years ago I don't remember how many years now I transitioned exclusively to mushrooms and uh I forage and I farm mushrooms. Now, I live in one of the areas where we have an insane deer population, right? It's a deer Yeah, garden, You're up right? in the
0: UP, right?
1: 200-pound I mean, does uh, that just walk up to your bird feeder, or five feet away from you in the middle of town. It's a weird yeah. deer population. So with that population, I was able to observe more than maybe you would in other places, right? They crushed my mushrooms. <laughs> Long story yeah. short, I, I grow 30 different species of mushrooms, more or less, or varieties. And it's like a smorgasbord. Well, you put out a smorgasbord and the the critters are going to come to the buffet. Now, first, I only did a little bit of these varieties and those varieties, and I built it up to quite a bit. And one of my tactics was, well, I'll grow more mushrooms. That way the deer can have some of them and leave mine alone. You know, it worked opposite. So I began to see how hard they were hitting this food. And that farm has alfalfa, and they're hitting at the same time they're hitting that alfalfa back and forth, back and forth silage corn. I mean, there's everything. There's food plotters all around me, right? There's properties that are cut all to hell just for, you know, deer. Why are those deer going past all of that to camp out in those pines and eat those mushrooms? There's nothing there for them in those pines except for thermal bedding. I'm at 60 degrees here a lot of the time. No need for thermal bedding, you know? So why are they in there? Well, that really got me going. Um, Then whenever I got a job offer that never turned out to be, I moved out of that farm, bought a new house in Michigan. But those giant mushroom food plots that I made in 2018 were now completely devoid of pressure, except for the farmer, right? And the deer got him, hey, they know everything he's gonna do before he does. So they really took over on that. And so I I talked to uh, somebody about it and they were like, you know, you're onto something. And I did all the Google research uh, and I started doing that research back in like 2015 and 16. There's nothing. And I've dug to the deepest spots of the farthest corners of the Internet. And uh, I'm always turning over new stuff. But, man, back then there was really nothing. So I just kind of had to go with my gut and what was working there. And so I began to observe what they liked, in particular, that I could grow, you know, the more commonly grown species. Uh, And so I began to develop the mushroom food plots based on that. But at the same time, while I'm out foraging, I see the evidence, you know uh especially whenever i i come across some really valuable mushrooms and they're a little bit too small i know if i wait a few days they'll be triple or quadruple the size right and when you're selling by the pound that matters and they're still going to be good you can go back a couple of days and they're just destroyed you know and and so you see that again and again are you picking them and their spikes missing are you jumping deer right out of those spots yesterday i jumped the big old hoss you know little lone warrior right just out of nowhere uh, picking mushrooms and he must have watched me for a half hour, 45 minutes as I slowly made my way up towards him. And what did it was my phone ring, and I stood up to get my phone out of my pocket. And that quick movement flushed him out. and He was only mm-hmm. 30 yards, you know, and I would have never known he was there because I was down looking at the ground mushrooms, but even scouting wouldn't have been able to pick them off, you know? Um, and so I see this over and over and over and over. And as a hunter, you know, you, you trust what you see, right mm-hmm. uh you I, i've been delving into the the depths of habitat research and deer management for years now trying to make sense of all this how this ties into everything and uh i, I mean I, I finally got to all the science of it and i'm working with some great people around the community and the industry and out of courtesy i'm not going to name drop because some of them feel like that constitutes an endorsement but many of them uh been on a lot of shows y- y'all would know them you know and uh so they're giving this a hard look too, because there's this huge discrepancies in this research from 70 to 85% of their diet down to 10%. Somewhere in there is going to be a real number, right? So that's kind of what led me on this. And I've been fascinated with this for a few years and I got real hardcore with it last year. Like you said, Josh, I broke my bow limb a week before the season began, uh, shooting. And I had that elbow forever, you know? And, uh, uh, i just wasn't financially ready to pony up for a new one and uh, a buddy gave me a crossbow that was only good at 20 yards and didn't have like a little piece to hold the arrow down so sometimes it's <laughs> so i said, the hell with this i ain't gonna wound it deer uh so i grabbed my camera and i just started flushing out bedding pockets and looking for what they were eating hmm. so, yeah it's been like pulling teeth in some ways get folks to listen and other folks you know dan he incidentally recognized it he was like yeah i see mushrooms being incredible draw." Uh, you know, they're a very powerful food source, uh, under certain, and it's all dependent on climactic conditions. If they're not in the landscape, then, or there's very few of them in the landscape, then you can target those. But, uh, if they're not available, they're not available just like any other food. So, um, uh, for whatever it's worth.
0: Yeah. Let's, let's go back to your like farming, uh, days whenever you kind of, uh, found out that these deer really are attracted to all these mushrooms that you were growing. Cause it's such a unique scenario. Like I, I don't know any mushroom farmers around here or anything, you know. It's not like there's a mushroom field every every uh couple fields or anything like that. So right. um how like how big an area is a mushroom field or
1: I grow indoors and outdoors and a little bit in between where I start some stuff and go out. It's, it's kind of complicated, but um I have a hundred by hundred and fifty mushroom plot at that spot, right? Which is a quarter acre ish, you know, okay. Okay, at the most. Uh maybe like a sixth, but Anyway, uh, the poundage that it produces is about one pound per square foot per two weeks. So that's significant because it's regenerating. Um, on the other side, I had several thousand mushroom logs and a mushroom logs, 38 inches, um, somewhere between three inches and as big as I care to carry it. And then um, to make it real fun, you soak those in water for 24, or 48 hours in a tank and then pull them back out. It's all yeah. uh, make a man out of you though. Um, so i had another quarter acre that size and then i had uh i don't know a quarter acre and some change and this all spread out over you know decent size a couple acres uh in the pines um but before that i had a smaller log yard and just kept building kept building kept building and now the new spot which we're calling the research farm is for uh 80 acres but 40 of its for me exclusively still working on getting all the ink dry on on all that but it's uh it's worth it's safe for me to do it there um and it is adjacent to a natural area which has a non-hunting zone which is significant because now we and i know there's monsters in there i see them all the time they piss me off because i can't shoot them in there right i'm I'm mushroom hunting there um now uh, i'm setting up the the mushroom bait so to speak on you know with the plot on my side for multiple reasons obviously but one of the things it's really going to do, because that's also um, a migration corridor, is going to give me a bigger picture window into a larger herd movement and and give me bigger samples of what I'm truly looking at. And so, uh, and I have multiples at this new site, including one on a food plot on the edge. It's 300 foot long, and there's an island in the middle with some fruit trees that I planted and stuff like that. And it's going to create a ton of soil and do some great stuff for the plot too. And that's all organic farming. We can talk about that if you want, but. Long story short, you know, maybe a couple acres in size, and uh, kind of close up to the road, close up to the houses, close up to the barns, and somewhere I keep an eye on it. You know, um, my kids and used to sit out there with Nerf guns and try to shoot the deer. One year, I tried to paintball them and mark which ones were eating it, so that prop yeah. um, tags when they got filled, they would shoot those. Every damn deer on that property had a paintball on them. Some of them had as many as ten. <laughs> Oh, no, that's well, You know, it, it,
2: it makes sense yeah. because, you know, like in bear baiting, you, you have, let's say all the neighbors are bear baiting, but one guy will have something different than everybody else, and those bears will go to it. Well, if you have a felfa around you and corn and beans and whatever, but nobody else has mushrooms, and they like those mushrooms, man, that's going to be a huge draw.
0: Well, I'd like to Matt's point earlier, you were saying like, it depends on the year too. Like some years those natural, naturally they're not going to be there. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're, if you're putting out mushroom food plots, you can maybe
1: control it a little better, I assume. Right. Yep. So last year, which is where all the, the moving the needle and the other stuff on my YouTube, all that food plot footage came from, that's a drought. Yep. Right. That was in a drought. So when it did rain produce an enormous amount of food with very little rain. And I know that we can irrigate these and make them a non-stop thing. But I like observing how it does with, you know, without irrigation uh, as well. Um, but this year's a drought year too. I mean, it started raining a, uh, a few weeks ago here finally, but it, it's been harder than hell. Well, I've been building these in the drought. So mm. it's, it, once you get this up and going, it's pretty much drought-proof. If you start with wet materials and you inoculate the sapotrophic mushroom and it's in any kind of shade, it's going to do it. You know, it's, it's pretty how, Are you
2: inoculating matter. that? that much of an area though I mean that is
1: well It depends on if you have what you have as resources I mean how much money do you spend on a food plot just clearing it right like right? this isn't a one-year thing this is multiple years after you get it established and inoculated you just add new wood chips every other year or every year whatever you're comfortable mm. with. it yeah. lasts three five years if you just drop it once and never walk away it'll produce mushrooms pretty healthily in that time period Years one to three will be best, and it'll kind of peter out, sure. and we'll produce them all the way up to eight years later. The byproducts, uh, three inches, two inches, depending on how much materials you start with, a beautiful black high quality compost that's high in carbon, which is great for all the plants around. It. So, it, I mean, it kind of works on multiple levels. And The deer, I've actually seen them paw at that in those old beds and eat it
2: but i am kind of wondering as far as inoculating you just spray it through a sprayer no so um, i basically basically a mushroom
1: farmer is a cloner right so uh, basic tissue culture you know you see the petri dishes and all that we just take a small sample onto there and we clone it and then it'll grow and if it's clean and you know isolated there's no bacterial contamination or other fungi on it we expand that from a piece of that wedge or agar the the dish medium into a bag of grains or a jar of grains wow. that have been sterilized, and from there we can launch it on the wood. If it's a wood-loving species, which is what I concentrate on the most uh, with my my fungi cultivation, I'm not after manure. I don't want anything to do with all that bullshit. What I want is wood. There's wood everywhere, all around me. Free sawdust, free you know logs after the loggers come in. Them tops let the deer browse off the branches. Tops are usually free, right? Yeah. Um, so i as a mushroom farmer you turn waste into something about it mm-hmm. right interesting yeah
2: and yeah, that's pretty cool yeah.
1: so and- yeah what you're saying is uh with regards to being the, the you know the big concentrated area that's what we call the, the we sell a larger pack i call the honey hole which is what we're, you know josh giving it away uh here later um but that is the idea you're creating a mushroom honey hole and you're creating it on your terms the deer can use it mm. on your terms right and you yep. get something from it too if you stick an arrow in the heart of a buck and he's laying there bleeding out well my gosh there's a the side dish right there next to him what luck
2: yeah sure okay See, I've, done the, I've done the um uh the logs already and with shiitakes hmm that's pretty cool like I didn't think it was gonna work but you drill holes in there and you put plugs in and all that I think that's cool but I've never actually done it I've tried it with a morel slurry it uh, didn't work for me so <laughs> with
1: morels there is cultivation that does happen uh, it's mostly in China but there's some European states and there's even some Americans starting to mess with it it's a field cultivation system that's extremely expensive to set up it's basically a break even affair you get the glory of growing morels. Um, most of the kits you're gonna see online, the reputable spawn dealers will say experimental only, which is your disclaimer to know that's probably not gonna work. But hey, if it does, awesome, right? right. And right. if you go into it with that premise, you'd probably be okay. But if you go into it, you know, spending a billion dollars, a lot of people lost fortunes trying to grow morels, both in and outdoors. Mm-hmm. Don't mm-hmm. fall for it.
2: Mm-hmm. Interesting.
1: Yeah, those farm mushroom or farm morels that are coming out of China and Europe taste like cardboard. And they're hmm. flooding the market much the way the Chinese flood the tr- uh, the truffle market with crap truffles. Sure. right? Sure. And they're, it, you can't tell what you're getting. If you're seeing mushrooms available on Facebook, they're coming from one of two places, right? They're coming from a burn area, which is going to be the Rocky Mountains usually, right? Somewhere yep. up there in an elevation, uh, or they're going to be coming from China. And mm. you can't really tell the difference except for the sand and the burn browns. Wow. Interesting. Hmm. Don't Let's, get rid of uh, those are not worth like $15 a pound is about the top end for most of that. Hmm. Gotcha.
0: Let's go back now. You've, you've talked about these, uh, these kits that you're, you're selling. Um, uh, can you describe those a little bit to us? Like what, what exactly is it? And then after you describe them, like, how does a guy get it to Basically. a deer's sure. mouth? You know, so.
1: What we're gonna do is it's, it's a five pound bag of live mycelium growing on sawdust. Spawn is what we call it, right? It's mushroom seeds, not spores, which spores, usually there's two of them and they have to mate, right? Um, so we don't wanna mess with that. That'll be genetically different than the parent. The genetics that I run are commercial farm genetics from Bulgaria, which are exceptionally high, highly productive versus most of the domestic uh, stuff that you're going to see that's the same variety of mushroom I grow for, for or that I'm preaching to you guys uh to grow and Matt these
0: this species of mushroom are I don't know if that's wine right. cap
1: would be the common name a lot okay. of people sell it a lot of people grow it right stropharia or SRA is what we call it as mushroom farmers SRA right but the most common name is wine cap there's like eighty-three thousand names for this mushroom compost yeah converse, garden, garden giant.
0: and you yeah. found that the deer really like this type of mushroom
1: it's large and substantial you know one pound one mushroom could be three pounds uh size Mm -hmm. of a dinner plate or bigger right it's frequently occurring Mm -hmm. it makes extremely great use of the resources biologically efficient right and in addition to that it's very vigorous and wants to grow its mural and it's hard for you to mess up and so Mm -hmm. there are a lot of other mushrooms that i have in the wings i'm doing trial and air trial uh, r d with Right now, but this is the one I want everyone to start with because we've all got to start somewhere, right? So, what we're gonna do is we're gonna get a bag of spawn, we're gonna crumble it all up. I show you how to do that on a YouTube video, real easy, right? And we're gonna basically create a lasagna out of brown materials for compost, right? We can use green stuff like grass clippings, etc., as well, but we're gonna concentrate on browns for the first part of this. So whether it's corn cobs, bean holes, beet pulp shred, any kind of pulp shred, uh sawdust. Straw is my favorite because it's a soft lignin, leaves, there are a plethora of materials. Any of those materials that are made of that hemocellulose and cellulose or lignin, especially when they're more airy in structure like lighter softwoods and straw, are going to be exceptionally good resources.
2: would like would. a mulch work?
1: Yes, it would. Absolutely. get that right? free from the city by us. Yes, most people do. You know, mm-hmm. uh, sign up for chip drop. You're supposed um, to use it for food plots? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So, what Crazy. we want to avoid pine that's one of the things that needs to be hit on because pine you know we use that for building materials because it doesn't rot well what is rot fungi eat and everything right mm-hmm. cool so we avoid those those materials which don't rot easily cedar bark pine as much as possible a little bit 10 percent, maybe a little more okay not much more though if it's all pine or all fir, back off of it try something different uh, so what we're going to do is a lot of times we're going to just clear the ground. We get, need to get it down to bare earth because we need the bacteria and the soil and the native fungi in the soil to work with us, and they're going to. All we got to do is drop this there. It's like having a whole tree mulched up is basically what we're creating, and we're gonna. And Matt,
0: like, what's an idea a spot to clear ground? Like, how how big an area? Shade, shade, shade is? number one. Mushroom springs
1: are are um, water and shade their enemies are direct sunlight this one tolerates it better than others like direct sunlight and in particular high wind so shade pockets right we're looking for those so this is why i love pines because year-round shade protection is swamp um, too
0: swampy too too
1: wet if it's standing water yes if it catches a little bit of flood water now and then no that's actually going to help your cause because like we soak our mushroom logs we soak this right? but we don't want to be too soaked, uh, you know, a week underwater might kill it. So, or float it away. So, uh, if, if it's too wet, no, Okay. But this leaves it open to a lot of different places in the landscape. And it's really where you want it to be. You know, uh, if you, you think you got a spot in mine, I got the shady spot near my blind, whatever, go for it. Cool. So we're going to go down to bare earth. We're going to get that bacteria involved. Uh, a lot of other companies will tell you, you can put paper down and our uh, cardboard, That helps, especially if it's wet, but you don't have to. You can skip that step. I go a little bit of spawn, about 25% of the bag, in a 5 by 10 area, right? 5 by 10 okay. Yep, 50 square feet. And you can stretch it out further later, but we'll just start with this one area because it'll happen fast and well, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And I make a layer of spawn on the ground, you know, just everywhere. Then I put a layer of wet straw, or if it's about to rain like all hell, straw, right, on top of it. And that straw, put in the tractor bucket and tie it down and flood the tractor bucket in the creek or whatever, just lift it up. Or get a a water barrel, stick the bale, you know, drop it over sideways, stick the bale inside, stand it up, fill it up with water. Next day, knock it over. You know, there's a lot of different ways to a a water trough with some bricks on top, whatever. Just soak it if you can. Throw it in the creek. Hell, I had to go swimming for one this spring because the landowner, I told him to soak them in the creek and they floated out. I, I mean, it was 40 degree water or whatever, and here I am dressed for field day. Anyway, soak it. We're going to make about half of that straw bale into a layer. Then we're going to add another layer of spawn, right? Another 25% of the bag, and then we're going to add the rest of the straw bale, and then the rest of the spawn, cover it with wood chips, leaves, as much as you can, up to a foot deep, you know? You can go deep with it, um, and let her wait. You know, just walk away. That's all you have to do. Hmm. We want to avoid really fine sawdust because it tends to cake and repel moisture. It's hydrophilic, right? Uh and likewise we don't want giant wood chips. You know, if you're gonna put the giant wood chips on there, then actually you want to mix some fine sawdust because that mix of particulate sizes is the most ideal scenario. So hmm. um for if you got sawmill down the road, I bet you if you cruise up in there with their favorite six-pack and you can just look at the trucks on the way in and tell, right? Or uh, you know, uh if you go in there with $20 bill hanging out of your G string, whatever it may be, then boys will <laughs> load you up with the front loader. They do it for me all the time. I don't know. Yeah. You can speculate on why they do it and how I get them to, but they drop the wood chips in there and uh, I tarp it off and drive on my merry way. Uh, you know, I was running the trailer loads of it for a long time and I just get up early. Them boys get to work about 4 30, 5 o'clock in the summer. And get there before the sun comes up and go grab a load and get that over with before my coffee's done. You know, sometimes we're going you know, it, it's that simple. Uh, one level truck load is two yards of wood chips. Uh, it takes me about 15 minutes at the most on a load heat one. So it'll probably take the average person uh, about half that, you know, um, boom, you're done. So one, one yard of wood chips, one bale of straw, and one bag of spawn. That's what we call the starter pack. Now here's where it gets good. Once we get it going, it takes a couple months. It'll turn real bright white in there, and everything will be fully colonized. The mycelium will. You can grab chunks of that and start new ones. That's now spawn, right? And so you mm-hmm. can, as a, a poor boy or a person who likes to maximize your resources, take that and multiply it times thousands. You know, depending on what your access is, to the materials. It's all about what you want to do with this and how you want to go about it. As a farmer your essence is how do I do more with less cheapest as possible? Because that's how you win at farming, right? You got it. I mean, there's a whole lot more to it, but that's the long and the short of it. You know, that's why farmers hang on to every nut and bolt because that <laughs> trip to town costs money, right? That, uh, you know, this, where I grew up, we recycled the oil from tractors by painting the barns with them every few years. Yeah. You were watertight like a duck for a month, but you have saved a few hundred dollars for that farmer, you know, yep so yep so So what do you think go ahead gary
2: well it's interesting because a lot of guys um yeah i used to do a lot of food plotting i still do some but the biggest issue in woods is sunlight you never can get enough sunlight especially with like if you have oaks or any kind of leafed trees deciduous trees to get down to get a decent food plot no matter what you do unless you're cutting trees out.
1: Yep. So um, I used to use these around my apple trees up closer to the house, and I've never seen so many apples on a tree in my life. Huh. So it's, it makes fertilizer. I mean, the byproducts compost. So we're in place composting, and that's boosting the natural microhyse already in the soil which and complementing the bacterial array, which is basically we're making fertilizer at the same time that we're creating food, which is astronomical. In this world, we're, I mean, hell, what's fertilizer cost now? I'm hmm. body meaning. In, in a decade or more, uh, because I make it all. You know, well, it's, it's like a uh, circle thing, then, right? It's called a closed loop agricultural yep. system. You got it. Yeah.
2: Hmm. Very interesting. Like I was saying it it uh a lot of guys struggle with food plots in the woods. Well, here you go.
1: Well, here let me to ask you this. Rich Johnson put it to me like this. Now he invented the double bull blind and double bull archery, all that back in the day. And he's he owns Steve Bartola's habitat management company and all that. Um, but he said it's this simple. Which one's easier? Kill a deer on the food plot or 20 yards back in the timber. Yeah, for sure. it's way easier to kill a deer in the woods.
2: Yeah. Hmm. That's very interesting.
1: So if we put food in thermal bedding back in the woods, that thermal bedding, that's some of the best camouflage that money can buy, buddy. Conifers, especially here. Deer walk around like this where I live. They they, they they're trained from the moment they're born to watch humans. And where everything, every tree that every hunter's ever climbed, they check, they know about, they check, and they walk through. I use ladder blinds as deception decoys. Yes. I put my ladder stands where I want them to j-hook around. Yeah. Huh. I don't want them to go, and you know, I'll throw a hat up there or something like that too, you know, but just to keep you scented up, you know, whenever hmm. I check my cameras. But that's interesting. I, it's I I I don't have a mobile setup like uh, you know Dan's and then in here. Uh, I'm just a man of limited resources and many children right now. But uh I do enjoy being up high. It's one of my favorite places to be, is observationally up high. But at the same time, the deer here, I mean, the neighborhood watch Karen, you know, the head <laughs> yeah, of man. the homeowners association walks around just looking for you, looking for you. You know, that's the first deer I shoot every year, is Karen, because yeah. that's her job. She's gotta go looking for you and yeah, you.
2: She knows. <laughs> yeah wow.
1: that's
0: funny. so uh what do you think like that when it's all said and done what's a guy have into uh money wise into a mushroom food plot
1: the bag of spawn is going to be roughly 25 dollars. Uh, we charge like 30 i don't know what my wife charges 32 bucks maybe at the most sorry uh and uh that's your five by ten but that has free shipping in it everybody else on the internet is selling you mushroom stuff going and charge you shipping wait till you see the sticker shock on that one buddy <laughs>
2: uh it's gonna cost a lot
1: more i promise you um we use pirate shipping you know so we get a great rate and we're passing that on to you we're taking a little bit of a hit here but we we feel like in this this world today that should be part of our business integrity just for shipping right um you might have 35 dollars at the most i think it will say 30 bucks into the spawn, right a bale of straw is five bucks seven bucks ten bucks depends on where you get it i go around after halloween i get hundreds of them for free on the curb um, they have this giant drunk fest here because they have a giant uh, ski jump. You know what the ski jump is? Yep. Okay, so Pine Mountain is here and Iron Mountain, which is, you know, enormous. And yeah. it's the You're oldest the one or whatever. It's good, steeped in history. And it is the world's largest drunk asshole fest. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and I don't go there, but I go there the weekend after. I get hundreds of straw bills for free, ninety free, And that's the best price in the world. All I got to do is pick them up, you know um and so what do you pay for straw what do you get for straw that's up to you the farmer that hauls all the straw i uh, sweep his trailers and i get all that straw for free and any busted bales or rotten bales so um let's say it's it's ten dollars for a bale of straw at Tractor supply or wherever the hell you're getting it right uh thirty dollars for that then whatever it costs you for wood chips i guess if you were to go out and buy them i wouldn't know but uh it cost me 20 bucks so i say i'm i'm maybe seventy dollars in at the top end with my fuel maybe depending on how far I have to go uh for uh my starter and you know a level truckload is two yards of wood chips so if you're gonna go get you know sawdust or whatever you might ought to just go ahead and get two bales but you do what you do. Yeah. So I mean a hundred bucks right. or less no trees have to come down. You know, <laughs> uh no bulldozer, no no spray, no fertilizer do it, huh? I mean, we have this in in less than twenty minutes, guys. Wow, it's that. How long does it take you to rake a five by ten and put, you know, make a lasagna and unload back of your truck? It's it's simple, and that's what so, I love about it. Is it's so simple, we ought to be doing it. So, as far
2: as when do these things? Um, Sixty to ninety days. Sixty, 60 to, to ninety days. days
1: you're, Yeah, they're going to, they're going to Peter in, you know, so pop, 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 a few of them kind of, you know, not to the frequency you're going to see later. And they like climactic conditions. They're responsive to temperature and rain. So when when it's hot and dry, and then we get a cool rainy spell, that's nature's triggers for mushrooms, right? Mm, If your lows are hitting anywhere in that temperature range, this mushroom wants the fruit. It's going to bang hard. If you're somewhere like Josh is where it's hot, you're going to see a lot of it in the spring then in autumn. It's going to pop hard, and through the winter up to freeze up. Once it freezes, now the other mushrooms I'm working with now are going to be later into the season. This one's going to really get you into that lull period, and through it up here where I am, right? Depending on how hard our frosts come and when, and you know, it's, it's a UP. the up. Seasons are made up, and the weather never really matters. It could snow any time. So, so you're uh, looking at October for sure you're I'm going- the job done in early archery when there's more more cover when there's mm-hmm. more you know when they're they're getting antsy about what's about to happen the whole thing you know hmm. early archeries for a lot of us that you know archery hunters that's where we get the job done or yep. where we want to get the job done because if you don't get it there you're going to be chasing that damn buck through late archery and that's a damn miserable thing up here man <laughs> yeah 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 uh-
0: so so like when if you if you're a deer hunter and you're doing this to create a deer food plot, when would you suggest someone buy one of these kits
1: from you and, and plant it then? Anytime if you're in the middle of have it. a 30-day window before you're gonna have freeze up, right? Because okay. as hunters, this is a perennial thing. So we want to get it established, you know, when's the best time to plant a tree? Yesterday. When's the second best time? Right now, right? It's more or less the same <laughs> thing. Um because it's perennial in nature. We're creating years of food. So the sooner we get it on the ground, the better. And if, even if we don't see anything this year, that's fine because guess what's gonna happen in the springtime. And that's important because this is essential to antler growth. This is the biggest source of phosphorus that they're eating. There are compounds that when we look at the science of this and I'm waiting for professors to back this up. So this is a, a hyperbole claim or whatever it may be and I'm gonna go ahead <laughs> and write it off first, but they're compounds that have been observed and written about scientifically and reviewed in peer study that are only available in the deer's antler blood, but not in the body. And those are derived, especially ergothionine, which is becoming a huge health craze thing right now. Largest source of that is mushrooms. It's almost exclusively in mushrooms, right? A deer takes phosphorus from its skeletal structure to grow their antlers, okay? It's gotta replenish that phosphorus. Mm -hmm. This is the, mushrooms are made of chitin. They're not cellulose like plant. If you raise beef, Josh, you know about chitinase and beef uh, feed or anything like that in the agro. Yeah, right?
0: and
1: that's lobster and crab shells and whatever cheap chitin they can get from ag- from a waste resource. Well, it yeah. increases the uptake of other nutrients in that cattle's diet. Cattle being a ruminant, that's why we're using this, right? Yeah, this is chitin. It's the most readily available and biosoluble food that they're eating. It's absorbed faster and they get more nutrients from it. It has a ton of protein in it. It has a ton of water-soluble fat. Deer, not a ton, but the right amount, about 2%. Deer don't have gallbladders. They can't take a ton of fat, from what I understand, right? It's arguable that this is a product of evolution. We know that deer are extremely adaptive and extremely selective, right? So when we pair that to what has survived all the cataclysmia, i.e. extinction events on this planet, were animals aligned with fungi the shrew our common ancestor right as all mammalians fungi everybody knows about this right fungi are a huge part of the diet that's how the shrew survived and the dinosaurs died and that's how mammals came to rule the earth right all the extinction events plants are aligned with fungi they survived the extinction events too it goes over and over and over throughout our history so deer being able and selected for, and probably evolutionarily designed to eat fungi is extremely adaptive and, and a great strategy for survival across the board. Uh, there are ruminant studies where we feed them, or sorry, scientists have feed them, this is extensively researched, is just straw that's colonized with these different mushrooms. Because once it comes colonized, it's now, no longer cellulose has been disassembled and rearranged. And now it's chipe right so we don't even have to grow the mushroom we just feed them the, the spent substrate you'll see them sometimes eating this too and i likely think that that's part of it right especially the straw um so that's that's where it's really really important that we you know we understand what it's comprised of there are we know about all the foods that you eat right there are forbs and there's mass soft mass hard mass nuts berries right grasses mm-hmm. uh, what's the other one? mushrooms the look, the NDA's own chart shows it right. The you know, there's uh, Dr. Deer, he's big on mushrooms, and I don't agree with anything, everything that anyone says, and I don't endorse anything, you know, to anyone. I'm just saying that Dr. Deer is big on mushrooms, and uh, that's Dr. James Crawl. Now, I've had other professors laugh in my face and say all the deer in the upper peninsula are starving, and if they're eating mushrooms, it's because they're starving to death, you know. Um, like I said, there's giant discrepancies in this. I wish that I could say that this was the magic bullet, but buddy, there ain't no magic bullet for nothing right Yeah, right so, you know we're right we this would be this, this
2: would be a great addition to what you're already doing. yeah, right. I kind of all you know, the tools and to like store. I said, being that you do it in the woods uh, makes so, it gives you, you a better chance.
1: We can use it in our habitat plans as we you know we stream things along the line in the landscape, right watering. Right. Mox right. brother, little food fly, that, yep. right? Yep. Yeah. Add more this more. there, it only makes it better. You got it. And if that, you know, let's say your cereal grain, this takes the pressure off your other crops too. Yes. So we've got to keep that in mind. If their stomach's full of mushrooms that can't eat as much of your other stuff. You want to get stuff off the ground, this is a great addition to that.
2: You know, so what is the upkeep on your second year and your third year? Then do you have to put third year more, I more wouldn't
1: money? do anything third year. I'd add wood chips and then wait till we're okay. do it again. Uh, if you don't add new spawn every few years, the deer scat has a whole host of spores in it, right? Sure. So you're going to get competitive organisms and this is process. I'm deeming naturalization. You're gonna get other mushrooms that lend themselves to cultivation in this scenario i.e., their sap troughs, right? especially mm-hmm. when you introduce a whole bunch more wood chips on top of it. So if you don't add more spawn at that time, then you chose a process I call naturalization. You're going to get more wine caps or stropharia, but you're also going to get whatever else pops up. Now this can be good or bad. You're going to fill gaps that that stropharia maybe doesn't occupy in the climactic condition window. Mm-hmm. Also taking energy, nutrients, and real estate away from the stropharia, mm-hmm. which we've specifically employed. Up to you. You know this yeah. is that's a great part about it it's it's a tinker dream. whatever you want to do you
2: right know? i think it'd be kind of cool just to do it and throw a camera on it and just get uh see what happens honestly yeah, a, that's where were. i'm at
1: i the new ones i made i hung cameras before i started assembling them so you see me from before i ever did right hmm. um the i did a podcast with jared from the habitat chat podcast or habitat podcast um, and then uh, I hadn't had a camera on at that point. I went out and got one that day, stuck it on it. And that's where the, the mushroom food plot trail cameras begin, is that next day from that podcast recording. Uh, I wish I would have put it out years ago, but uh, at the new site, at least I have it from before I even you know went in there with the lawnmower to get rid of some of the brush I didn't like. And you don't even have to do that. You can just throw this right on top of it or amongst it. I pull out the stuff I don't want, throw everything else over, it's bringing going to pop up through it anyway let it be
2: so it, is it bad to like say spray off an area with roundup or something no this is
1: uh you know it mushrooms are molecular disassemblers they can eat uranium plastic diesel fuel oil what you got you know Dang. you're not going to hurt you're not going to kill it with roundup unless you pour an entire jug right on it in which case you're gonna kill everything with that right right but I mean,
2: just to keep the brush down and keep yeah, it all free. But what I
1: would do is actually leave that brush because it's going to be a more nutrient dense food source of Forbes mm. and browse, you know, because uh, yeah. you're growing a compost pile right there. So, you know, we know that they'll eat this plant over here in this spot, but not over there. And Why? A lot of that yeah. goes to the nutrition of you know the plant and what it's getting from the soil. So if you have other crops right now, I'm putting service berries, wild blueberries and sweet ferns in on one. Uh, because that's something; those all are uh, companion plants. Um, I like plums and hazelnuts a lot. That's one I aspire to put in a very large mushroom plot with plums and hazelnuts right up as a big thicket. Uh, we're creating layers. I'm doing it on the edge of a, a food plot right now. I have planned to put corn with beans and pumpkins uh, or squash uh, underfoot. It's called the three sisters method. It's companion planting method right an organic ag and you know corn grows up beans grow up it pumpkins cover the ground it's it's something for everybody there they all benefit each other for what they do to the soil and i know i'll get a great yield off of it and uh, in addition to that i'll have the uh the mushroom food plot there at the beginning or in the lower floor i'm also just throwing clover on it if you go and hit your area with a forestry mulcher and you throw clover on it it's all going to turn yellow you never if you even get the clover off the ground right but with this, by employing the saprotrophic mushroom, uh, it's not going to do that. There'll be a little bit of a window where it'll kind of yellow off and then it'll turn green like oil, you know, like you've been spraying it every day with compost composting. Um, it's, it's just a tool that we can employ, we basically have it do work for us so we can reduce our overburden of debris. Some people really love this for the building soil aspect. Some people love it because we're reducing the overburden of debris from the landscape, you know, the backlog of rot, so to speak um mm-hmm. so people love it because it's just food you know um so what,
2: what is what would it be compared to for like tonnage to like corn per se or beans
1: this is where people get pissed <laughs> um, <laughs> a lot a lot uh an insane amount of tonnage especially if you look at the fact that you know how much does it cost to plant an acre of corn every year for three to five years yeah,
2: it gets yeah. To be expensive if it comes up. Like we're in Drought Area here yeah. this year, and I've never seen corn so bad in in years. I know
1: a few corn plot. The corn plot at the old farm is completely overtaken with lambs quarter and some other stuff. It never even made it off the ground. Wow.
2: Yeah, I think only about 15% of my corn actually came up. It was.
1: You're not year. alone. Everybody up here is yeah. going through it. Uh. So what corn? You know. Um, that was a huge flush right. of the paint, you know. I, I planted shitload, or sorry, a lot of screening, tall grass screening this year, sorghum, yeah. you know. Yeah. None of it came up off the ground, you know. I got a little bit of switch in a couple pockets, but it's it's all washed. Yeah. So now I'm a switch. Like Here, what, really are. what are you going to do for food? Well, what am I going to do for cover? I got to fire up the chainsaw. Yeah. yeah.
2: Hmm. That is very interesting something i mean you like to try here
0: yeah it's pretty interesting let's talk about uh natural mushrooms first a few minutes matt before we get off here my favorite um, yeah you uh you mentioned you really pay attention to mushrooms when you're walking around uh the woods and like for a guy that's just going kind to of hunt on the land what kind of mushrooms do you find that deer like the, the most
1: out there that you may commonly see when you're so home? there's a list um concentrate on the ones that are edible for you too because then you're gonna, you know that that's going to help you guys a lot as just general humans and your woodsmanship right and they're going to love them too hedgehogs maitake or hint of the woods big big draw now these are both perennial they're going to come back to the same spot every year chantrell's do agree black trumpets to a degree the one I want you guys to all concentrate on the hunters the very most is going to be the honey mushroom right uh that's as a hunter i'm looking for a large prolific area of them cool so is it jake Sc- scaler skeeler how do i say his last name josh he works for dan do you know oh jacob uh, yeah jacob yeah yeah uh, so he's got that video of hunting over those uh white oak acorns that are fresh dropping and here comes this buck just cruising through eating honey mushrooms that's all the old timers set up for honey mushrooms that i've talked to at all the deer camps right the ones who knew about this were, oh yeah deer love mushrooms the honey mushrooms in particular the polish call them the button mushroom or the stump mushroom right um that's the one in particular it's going to be prolific it can occur two even three times in a season so just because you're catching it on the way out one time uh, doesn't mean it's not going to be there and those big pockets uh, or early pockets. so you guys are familiar with the idea of microclimatology i.e leeward and windward sides of a hill how they warm up differently cool so imagine mm-hmm. this big hill well those mushrooms that are uh autumn loving aren't going to appear on the south side where it's more summer-like first so the they're going to be on the north side of that hill and then they're going to be on the east side and then the west side and then the south side if we're looking at you know a just true pyramid hill right so it's microclimatology. So if you're catching mushrooms on the decline on one side of the hill, they could very well be on the uptick on the other for whatever it's worth. Uh, is if you it's all about just pounding the ground, look, you gotta look. What are they eating? I'm right. on ear trails, go looking for mushrooms anyway. And yeah, I'm just looking for mushrooms across the board, but I'm really I'm harvesting for market, you know. Uh, yeah. so I tend to pursue those more edible species anyway, and I see more of the predation along those edible species lines because obviously I'm targeting those now whenever I kick back to just my camera I saw that they eat a host of them but the most powerful I saw during hunting season was hen of the woods if you find hedgehogs they're a big big issue on the the, that's the top one and then in particular the honey mushroom there's a few others the deer mushroom also known as the fawn mushroom or the deer shield mushroom it can be a really big one and that occurs multiple times a year so you can find it right now it's in the landscape in the spring it's in the landscape usually during morale season and then again in autumn and right now it's in the landscape for me because we had some 40 degree nights last week and mm. of rain. um and so when we're doing our scouting I'm just looking I'm looking a what mushrooms there B what mushrooms are they eating and I know that there there is palatability concerns but it's not exclusive I've seen the meat mushrooms that I wouldn't even um All right i play jokes on people as a forager right i'm teaching you a class one of the things we do to identify mushrooms can be what we call a spit test which is you eat a small piece you just chew it up you taste it you know with saliva and then you spit it out right some mushrooms can be so bitter that you wish you'd never even met a mushroom some mushrooms can be spicier than any hot sauce right and this is one of my favorite tricks to pele on people whenever I take them foraging. Oh, I don't know what that is. We should do a spit test. Here, try this,
2: <laughs> right?
1: Especially the spicier bitter ones. Uh, long story short, I've seen them nibble on those but not consume those. And I see other mushrooms, especially those with more of a nutty flavor, they really hammer down on, right? And so that's and a lot of the um, farmer's market uh, patrons the the housewives of uh, whatever they really love those too so that works out for me because I need to grow them you know but uh, there you go. uh late season I would cue in on the brick cat mushroom and Noki. Um oysters can be a draw hit and miss though I wouldn't set up over them exclusively if I saw acorns and oysters yeah I'd probably set up there
2: uh, I I've seen them eat chanterelles because usually this time of year I'll be all Hanging cameras, and you know, you come across chanterelles this time of year, and I'll see those deer eating on those.
1: Yep. So yeah. think about the smell that they put off when you when you have a ripe chanterelle. yeah on your smell hand. It. yep. It smells like a ripe apricot. Right?
2: And if you get a lot of them in area, you literally can smell it on a mm-hmm. on a dewy morning. So is that a chemical attractant from the mushroom for the deer? Maybe. I don't. know. You definitely can smell. And then even with morels, like you get into an area with a lot of morels, mm-hmm. boy, you can smell that woodsy, it's,
1: well, and that earthiness with the morels. Yeah, right? yeah. Chemical camouflage agent. Yeah, It's it smells like earth, right? And, you <laughs> yeah, know, I, just saying. I I'm yeah. I'm very curious about the subject. I have no data, no, you know, just some yeah. observances and inferences here. But that's I'm how are really,
2: running starts,
1: all right. Yeah. I mean the smells just as attractive to us it hits us down on our caveman bone right yeah we you know
2: yeah yeah it's um if you're a big morel hunter you know you you know that the deer will eat those you're you're almost literally some places trying to beat the deer to some of these morels
1: and it's a mixed bag some people say no they don't and it's boy it's just so far the only thing mycologists agree on is that they don't agree on anything and then the right. only thing hunters agree on is that everybody else is wrong. And when you throw all that in one bucket, it's harder than hell to it right. float. But yeah, right. I agree that they do most certainly target morels. I don't have any direct proof. I did set up cameras on a couple of false morels or geometra this year. Mm-hmm. They had no interest in those, which I thought was interesting because they're so big and fleshy. Yeah. Yeah. But they yeah. were the true Jeremetra Esculana or False Morel. They there are other members of that Jerometra complex, which down by you, Josh, they're called the Big Red or the Carolina Red. Yeah. It's the, all right. They tear that one to pieces. So yeah. you know, it's the they're it's just uh it's like everything in mushrooms. There's no hard, fast, loose rules. You just gotta know everything about everything. And uh, you just start with a handful of mushrooms and begin to add one or two a season. And before you know it, you look at you, you're a forager.
2: Yeah. yeah. Hey, man, I was going to ask you. Go ahead, Gary, if you got something else. I do some foraging, but I just never, you know, I found all those kind of mushrooms. Actually, Josh, I found those honey mushrooms by him. Mm-hmm. Didn't pick them, though, um, but I did find them by him. Yeah, they're C to um,
1: uh you know, from the Arctic Circle to the Gulf of Mexico here on the continent. This isn't exclusive to whitetails in the Midwest. This is elk, our servants. They are documented to extreme, uh, oh. to eat a lot of fungi, mule deer, servants, reindeer, servants.
2: It's, what it's, about it's, chicken in wood woods. woods? Did you ever, did deer eat? Them? Yeah. That's, that's the ones I usually oh. find two by Josh and we grab them and eat them up. But, uh, do they eat a lot of chicken in the woods? Do you notice or you just don't really.
1: They do. They eat chicken. They know I've seen them absolutely destroy it. And I've seen them walk by it with their nose up. So like mm. us, they're, you know, I yeah. uh, said so Josh just shot the other day. I had one uh, at the old mushroom farm in the log yard. I left a number of each species as kind of, uh, you know, smartest board, sport. So I left some chickens there that were on some large pieces of logs. And I didn't cultivate those. Those were actually from a logger. He cut down a giant tree and he cut me some two foot tall, three foot around chunks off of it. And it bared fruit for many years. And I actually cultured that and began to, my cultivation journey mm, with chicken wow. based on that. Right. Um, but they, they did, they did, took a few bites. Now that's right next to those strafaria beds or SRA beds or mushroom food plots right there. So, I mean, they're walking right there in, in the wild. I don't see them tear it up nearly as much, but sure. in some places I do. So sure. I wouldn't walk if I saw honey, mushrooms, a chicken of the woods, uh, and there were both acorns around them. I would set up over the honey mushroom first is what
2: okay. I would do Huh. That's very interesting i'd take the chicken in the woods home then for myself sorry yeah yeah uh, you know, <laughs>
1: but be careful with uh taking that stuff home for yourself and climbing up in a tree i was thinking about this the other day uh, i know you know dan spoke about it about how bears climb up in the tree and, <laughs> you know hey don't laugh too hard i've been chased by bear uh before and had to drop my bucket and you know, they love mushrooms
2: you know but, I, it's a funny story i went to canada bear hunting and it was Probably 30 years ago with my dad, and the outfitter had a guide. He was an old Indian guide, and he was a good guy. We got along way too well, not knowing what they usually drive the four wheeler up to the tree. You climb off the four wheeler into your stand so the bears don't climb up the trees with you. Mm-hmm. Well, he wanted to play a joke on me and, oh, and All right, here's your stand. Go climb up in it. I didn't realize it, but I didn't have a bear climb up. But uh, the other guys were telling me, yeah, it's really hard to get off that four-wheeler into that tree. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I just jumped off the wheeler. And uh, <laughs> the outfitters like, you don't do that to them. You know? ah, that's and awesome. That's why I was kind of laughing about that. Yeah, they'll smell that and they're going to want to get in there I would assume right I mean sardine oil
1: on your buddy's boots
2: yeah no you want to see there,
1: but sardine oil on your buddy's boots and every footprint that he or every step he takes there's gonna be a bear there soon really
2: you'll yeah. we'll have to put that on Brad's uh on his boots this year not tell yeah. him right yeah there you
1: go you don't have to worry about that stuff down here but yeah
0: Matt you're wanting to give away one of your packs
1: I absolutely am I want to see someone uh do this on their own and it'd be awesome to so, uh, first of all i want to shout out everyone in the live chat right i love the live chat group yeah i'm, I'm a member of it's totally say matt's on to all, all the time you're
0: you're a micro what's your handle Michael habitat yeah Michael I'm habitat a Shime,
1: I sorry shiitake creek uh which yeah. is um my farm page but i try to only interact you know in the hunting world this micro habitat because i have vegan vegetarian customers and yeah i get it <laughs> right uh so yeah uh, I love to get in there and mix it up. Uncle Lou's uh, definitely folk hero in there, as is yeah. James Deeks. Dad. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Rob. Um, rob
0: so, rob, if you guys want to, what exactly they get, Matt? Just one of
1: your. So it's a five pack. We, we call it the honey hole. Uh, it's five five pound bags of spawn, um, shipped to your door, and Perfect. the instructions obviously included. Uh, you're going to need five yards of wood chips or uh, you can do it without the straw. I like to do it straw because it happens faster, right? And it also tends to fruit heavier, more, more fruits increases the yields, but you need five yards um, of wood chips and five bales optionally and uh, the five bags of spawn. And that's a 50 by uh, five, you know, that's, that's pretty good size and you could turn that into a lot more in a, uh, uh, 60 days and, you multiply it basically by 10 every 60 to 90 days. So have fun with it. Hmm. Yep. And so, I would uh, love really to you see,
2: want, you know maybe I'll I'll have to get, off. get on the live feed.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. If you want to win, uh, if you want to win it, comment mushroom mat. And I'll pick someone that comments mushroom mat. If you if you're not interested in in uh, getting some, don't comment mushroom mat, but we'd like to get someone to give it to someone that's gonna use it, you know so yeah
2: and definitely um, like to hear results too you know mm-hmm. yeah it'd be interesting it'd be so interesting. that's
1: that's where I'm at right now is the prove it tour I just released a video called prove it which kind of was a two minute short about this or whatever um yeah obviously I'm not the world's greatest videographer but I'm trying I'm gonna teach myself right <laughs> um mm-hmm. So, I've been on the Proven Tour. I kind of went full time with this in April, and I got my first break down in Indiana. And I'm trying not to mention names because uh, I don't want anybody, to, you know, once again, the, the endorsement thing. There's a lot of folks, but I got my my break from a pretty big name down in Indiana, and uh, shortly thereafter, got to go to a Mossy Oak field day near Terre Haute and do the same, uh, put one in there, and teach folks about it. And then I come back home, and uh, you know, uh, just. A lot of conversations with folks, a lot of cold calls and cold emails and cold Facebook messages and uh, a lot of just uh, humble explanations and being, you know, just simple me, uh, kind and caring and uh, it took a lot of hours, but I got a lot more opportunities. I went over the bridge downstate Michigan, stopped the total archery challenge, kind of rubbed a few elbows and dropped off some stuff and then went and saw some habitat managers and dropped off more. And uh, so one of those guys took like 30 something bags and has nursery containers full of wood chips. Now they're colonized that he's putting all over the place. And it's nice. pretty cool. Um, very cool. And they, so uh, they're come back home and I got up with some other folks. So I recently got to mail some to the Mississippi State University Deer Lab, uh, as well as uh, a fellow down, well, I don't know if I should mention him, but he killed a couple of 200 inch bucks in one year. Uh, and then uh, yeah, just all kinds of folks. There's a member of the executive board of the NDA who has this. At, I mean, the president, you know, uh, has this now. And uh, it's just really, then there's a whole lot of other folks. You know, these are just a few of the bigger names uh, that are getting yeah. this shot. And it's all under the premise of proving, right? Prove it, that, that it works. Yeah, uh, we're, we're, so we're, we're doing minor, Right, with an experiment, you have to replicate yeah. Where, where
2: can you where can we find that video where
1: do you have a youtube page or something yeah I do. michael habitat's my youtube channel okay yep i'll, I'll have it
0: all it's all linked in the description form to check it out all, right. all matt's stuff is um well we've been on here for an hour matt
1: i appreciate you guys to know in uh josh happy anniversary to my oh, wife thanks, i've <laughs> got to say happy anniversary as well because you know i have to um, and once again, thank you guys so much. I appreciate the, the opportunity to kind of uh sporulate mine, so to speak. I know that, uh, that's weird, yep. coming, but you get it.
0: Yep. And I'm sure Matt will be on the the. Yeah, I'm chat. simple. You
1: reach out to me. I'm a real guy. Yeah. You can even, you know, if you, I, I don't want to do arguing matches and cussing. When I say, God bless you, have a nice day. That's basically me giving you the finger sometimes, you know, yeah. uh, depending <laughs> on who it is and the circumstances, but. I'm just a simple dude, man. I'm, I'm, uh, don't get me wrong. I'd love to make, you know, enough money to pay all my bills and blah, blah, blah. But hey, this ain't about getting rich. I just told you the name of the mushroom. You can jump on any website, stop and get it from them. Your buddy got a mushroom farm, get it from him. You know, like I said, my genetics are a little better, but you know, it's whatever, right? Um, yeah. But so I really appreciate everyone and uh, especially those folks out in the hunting community. Give me a fair chance and weren't mean to me. That's gone a long way uh that includes you josh uh, call, and, man. uh interesting yeah hmm. thanks for on here sorry we didn't do this sooner
0: no all good man it sounds like this is a good timing to, to start this so um all right everybody have a good night and we'll talk to you later